Welcome to the Ruby Book Club podcast, where we read an hour of a Ruby book each week and dissect it with you. I'm Saran, developer and founder of Code Newbie. I'm Nadia, developer and director at Ignition Works. Today we move on to chapter four of 99 Bottles by Sandy Metz and Katrina Owen. It's called Practicing Horizontal Refactoring. We look at sections 4.1, 4.2, 4.3, and 4.4. These look at replacing difference with sameness, deriving names from responsibility, and choosing meaningful defaults. And remember that you can follow us on Twitter at Ruby Book Club and check out rubybookclub.com to follow along. How did you find this week's reading? This week's reading, so I'm really glad that we finally got to a solution, right? Because we've been waiting for, I guess, four chapters now to figure out like what is the, the final refactoring of Earth's look like. So I'm really glad that we got there. However, I was surprised at how straightforward things ended up being like I'm not sure if it's a good thing because if it's straightforward then the chances are much higher that I can actually do it on my own but at the same time I was like oh there isn't where's like where's the magic in it right where's the the big reveal at the end and it was kind of <laughs> it was kind of what Sandy Katrina told us it was going to be it was just a lot of really small little steps that we take to finally get to our solution yeah I don't know if you saw my tweet earlier today well, you would have been sleeping when I sent it. Well, probably you wouldn't have been sleeping when I sent it. <laughs> anyway, but it was name the concept, create the method, and replace the difference with a common message send. Refactoring simplified by Sandy Metz and Katrina Owen. Because I think mm-hmm. I had a similar thing where I was like, oh, you can you can s- summarize essentially what the process is in that sentence. And so I guess I was also surprised that, oh, it was more straightforward than I thought it was going to be. But mm-hmm. I also did enjoy the thorough going over of it because you know yes. that's how you learn most often most often with books you you see something once and that's it and then it's up to you to go away and go over it again and try and practice it but through working through the book they go through everything step by step so you get that review that's very helpful when trying to learn things long term yeah and I also like that the thoroughness isn't just here's how you do it and here are all the details that go along with it. It's also, let's explore wrong options and let's explore when things don't go right and see where we end up with that too. So it's it's thorough in terms of the, the different possible decisions you might make as well. So shall we discuss the book? Yeah, let's do it. So in section four, called Practicing Horizontal Refactoring, We start by looking at using the flocking rules that we've used in the previous chapters and apply it to the remaining special verses. So in section 4.1, replacing difference with sameness, we have to make a decision as to whether we're going to tackle verse zero first or verse one first. So which one are we going to make similar to our else clause? I was so proud of myself because I got this one right. I got it right without peeking. Yeah. I actually sat there and thought about it and said, which one would Santa Katrina pick to go next and why? And I picked the right one. Yes. So I was really proud of myself. See that? <laughs> Learning in action. <laughs> so why did you think that it was going to be verse one then, which is the one that was chosen? Yes. Yeah. So I, I went with verse one because when I was comparing verse zero with the else compared to verse one and the else, the there's a big, to me, felt like a, a, a fundamental difference with zero, which is going from no more bottles to 99 bottles, mm-hmm. 
right? Because everything else before that was always going down, and now mm-hmm. we're going from zero to all the way back up to 99. So that felt like a very, very, a much bigger difference than the difference between one and else. Um, so for that reason, I said, okay, that one, one seems a lot more the same than the zero option did. Even though one had no more as opposed to zero bottles of beer on the wall. Yeah, because I wasn't thinking about the differences literally in terms of mm-hmm. kind of the letters used. I was thinking about, because I know, you know, I, I kind of knew that the point of looking at the sameness and the differences was to think about abstractions. And so the, in terms of the concept, it was still going from one to zero, even though the word we were using wasn't zero, it was no more. Cool. So looking at listing 4.2 called one and else, first line's different. We take the first line of verse one and the first line of the else clause and we do the same thing that we've been doing all along, which is going from left to right and looking for the differences. And so the first difference that we have is that we've got the number one in the verse, one bottle of beer on the wall, as opposed to the interpolated number variable. Yep. So simply we replace one with the number variable. I was so relieved that that was as straightforward as I thought it was going to be. <laughs> yeah. I looked at that and said, okay, great. One, one down, a couple more things to go, but the first, first task is, is completed and actually that straightforward. And the next thing is also pretty straightforward too, because the next, the second word in verse one is bottle and the second word in verse else is bottles. And in a previous chapter, we worked on the container method. And so we can just use that again here. And mm-hmm. all we have to do is change bottle and bottles to a call to the container method passing in the number argument. And now that deals with the first phrase of both of those verses. Awesome. And the important bit here is where Sandy and Katrina say, this substitution is important, not because it changes the resulting value, but because it increases the level of abstraction. Without it, you are doomed to the conditional. <laughs> yes, I also highlighted the you are doomed part. That was awesome. Yeah, Sandy hates those conditionals. But yes, it's all about being able to just move towards the general case, even though the output is exactly the same. Yes. Do you want to tell us what we do next? Sure. So now that we've made the first phrases identical for both the when, one, and the else, the next thing we're going to do is look at the second line. So here in the one conditional, we have one bottle of beer. And then in the else, we have the number, the interpolated variable number, bottles of beer. So now we have to figure out, well, what do we do with that? And if we look at, again, finding out exactly where the differences are, we see that the big difference is that one and that number. And so we can do something very similar. We change the one in the one conditional and just use our existing interpolated number variable. And then if we look at the bottle versus bottles, we can do the same thing that we did previously and substitute them both for the container and passing in the number argument. So with that, we now have two phrases that are identical for the when one and the else. So it's all pretty straightforward so far. Mm -hmm. So now we move on to section 4.2 called equivocating about names. And I've highlighted the first sentence of this section because it says the name container feels right. And I highlighted that because I thought it was quite funny given our discussion around whether container felt right or not in the last episode. (laughs) So next we go to the third verse that says, take it down and pass it around. 
verse, take one down and pass it around. And so if we look at exactly what the difference is between those two, we see that it really boils down to take it or take one. So it's that it and that one that match up. So this is where we pause and we say, okay, what is the underlying concept of those words? And, you know, I don't know for, for you if it was hard not to, but when I was looking at that, it was just, it was, I just kept focusing on the difference and basically just ignoring Sandy and Katrina's <laughs> instructions and just being like, oh, but one is it and one is one. How can those two possibly be the same? Like, that's just kind of where, you know, my personal mental block Um, But if we think about it, you know, instead of kind of focusing on what those words mean, I think for me, kind of now knowing the answer and looking back on it, I think it would have been more helpful for me to think, what is the goal of using that word, if that makes sense? Like, what's the what's the point? What's what's the purpose of it? And if I thought of it that way, I think it may have been a little bit easier for me to get to um, an actual answer. But the answer that Sandy and Katrina use are pronoun that it is a thing and we talk about a couple different options we talk about how thing is just too broad it doesn't really mean anything uh it or one is too narrow and also doesn't really speak to the underlying concept but pronoun is a much better fit for what we're trying to do yes i yeah i'm not sure if if someone had said okay what would you choose and i hadn't looked ahead whether i would have gotten to pronoun because it's like what you said trying to go that one level up and go what is this word trying to do um Mm -hmm. so it was helpful that sandy and katrina then talk about three different strategies for how people come up with names and i think i've had experiences with all three so the first one is spending five to ten minutes usually with a thesaurus and then you know settling on the best name that you can come up with and i've definitely googled on on the online thesaurus like i need a word that's kind of like this and Mm -hmm. and you go for the best one because you realize it'll be good enough and that that that's fine that's all you need to get going then it's this idea that to choose something like foo or name this or to do and i really don't like this this method i i don't I never like doing this particularly if i'm working alone because straight away i feel like you forget what that thing is so you're passing it around yes. mm-hmm. and it's just already you're like, wait, what, what's this again? Or, and it, it, that's why naming is so important and so useful. So I, I hate doing the foo or name this because you're always thinking, well, I have to change this. So you're still thinking about that decision anyway. And mm-hmm. it just gets confusing mm-hmm. in your code base. So I don't like that. Yes. I like the third one, though. Yes. Which is just to ask someone for help. Yes, I mean, often if it's Theo and I, we'll just between, you know, we'll, we'll go back and forth between us. Often one of us is on form, <laughs> at least. <laughs> but if not, then, you know, we'll both be on the thesaurus. But but yeah, it's really <laughs> useful, particularly if you work in an office of people, to just be able to go over to, to someone, sometimes actually quite not even on your team, because they can just mm-hmm. say, hey, this is, this is the kind of thing I need, and what would you name it? And they're quite removed from it, so they can just go, ah, what about this? Yeah, it sounds like they're doing this thing. Yeah. Yeah. So yes, use your colleagues for your naming. Yes. And so these are basically the same steps that we're going to follow and that we've done to create our container method. And so the first step is going to be just creating an empty pronoun method, def pronoun end. And a big part of making sure that we're refactoring efficiently and quickly and making as few mistakes as possible is making sure that we are running our tests after each change and making sure that the tests pass after each change. 
So after the first step, creating that empty pronoun method, we can run our methods. Hopefully everything passes. There, you know, it shouldn't, mm-hmm. we haven't actually used the method or called it, so things should be just fine. And then the second thing that we're going to do is actually put something in the method, and we're going to return the string one. And we're going to pick that because we know that that's going to be the value for our else branch. And so we want that to be one. So now that we have a method called pronoun that's going to return the string one, what we can do is we can go to our else branch and substitute the one for pronoun. And we know that that's going to work because our return for the pronoun method is one. So, so far, we've created a new pronoun method, we've used it somewhere, and our test should still be passing. Yep. So then, moving on to listing 4.11, pronoun with defaulted argument. We add the default argument like last time, our favorite fix me, the symbol, and then we alter pronoun to be open to the one case. So that means we now have if number equals equals one, return it, else return one. And so now what we can do is in the else branch where we interpolated in pronoun previously, we can now pass in the number argument and it still works because the number is not one, it's something else. And so it returns one, one the string. Yes. The next thing we can do is alter the one first so that instead of it, we now pass in pronoun with number as an argument. And that also works because of our modification to the pronoun method. And so the final thing that we do is remove that default and voila, we have a wonderful pronoun method that takes number as an argument. So this is, like Saran said, exactly the same as the container, the process that we went through to, to build up the container method. Mm-hmm. And this time it was a little bit faster because I remember when we did the container method, we looked at all the steps at the end. I think there were, what, 14, 15 different yeah. steps involved. We're like, oh my goodness, that's a lot. But when we did it again, it felt a lot more natural and progressive and kind of one just almost naturally led to the next step. So it felt a lot smoother. Yes. So now we'll move on to our next section, 4.3, deriving names from responsibilities. I was looking forward to this because I often have problems when thinking about single responsibility of what the scope of a responsibility is and how you define mm-hmm. that. So I was hoping that in this chapter there was going to be more around, hey, here's how you, you know, name a concept based on a responsibility. Mm-hmm. And did it do that for you? Sort of. Yeah. <laughs> 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 So now we're going to look at phrase four of the one and else cases. Now this is very interesting compared to the ones we've been looking at before, because in the one case, we've got no more bottles of beer on the wall. But in the else case, we have, so first an interpolation of number minus one, and then a second interpolation of the container method, taking number minus one as an argument, and then of beer on the wall. So... We've got to do the same thing that we've been doing, which is eliminate the difference between these two lines. Yes. So how do we do it? So one thing that we're going to do is if we kind of zoom in, same process, zooming Mm -hmm. in on what are the things that are not the same. We have no more versus number minus one. And one thing that 
have we been doing this whole time has been um, lining up the things that are I'm not even sure how to, how to describe it. the things that we're about to change, I guess, like lining up the things that have an underlying abstraction, have a concept that they share, but that concept and that underlying abstraction isn't yet declared. And so here we have no more and number minus one, and we're trying to figure out what is the right thing for that. And so when I first looked at that, I was trying to think of my own answer before looking up what the answer was. And I did, you know, I honestly, I kind of forgot about the table um the the column header technique that we so learned where we put yeah where we put all the possible number of values on the left so the other values we've used so far are 99 50 1 0 and then we looked at the possible um return values that we want and we kind of see if we could name these return values what would we name them so i didn't remember the table exactly but i did use that same idea so i said to myself okay well what are some of the other options that we could use? What are some other words we could have in here? And what do they all have in common? And so the thing that I first thought of was bottles left over because I knew that that was though that those values so far anyway were was the number of bottles that we have once we've taken a, a bottle down and you know pass it around and all that. So I thought, okay, bottles left over. And that was kind of similar to one of the suggestions that we end up talking remainder. about, which which is remainder, right? So I said, okay, I got, I was kind of in the same, you know, the same sport at least <laughs> with this one. Um, but we talk a little bit about kind of why that works and why that may not work. And so one of the things that we talk about is how when we talk about remainder, uh, it works for this specific case, but we would find out pretty soon that the same remainder value would be used not just to end the statement, but would actually be the beginning of another sentence. So instead of remainder, we're going to use something a little bit more broad, which is quantity. So how did you feel about using quantity or remainder or a third option? So it's funny because I sort of see what Sandy and Katrina were saying about why remainder is not suitable. But the first time I read it, I was like, but whether you're starting the verse or ending the verse, however many bottles you have on the wall are the remainder of bottles. But then, oh, I, that's a good I, but point. then I can understand yeah. why it can be confusing within one verse because it's always remainder, remainder, minus one. But And then quantity, I was like, oh, I guess. I don't know, I'm expecting something exciting and I just wasn't getting it. But I totally, totally understand. You know, it's just, I think, you know how you're trying to think ahead yourself? I think I'm thinking too complex and too exotic and so I'm not getting anything. And so then when I read quantity, I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I guess. Well, to be fair, I think that looking at the the other names that we have, right? I think number is pretty straightforward. It's just, you know, we're we're basically just doing math with numbers, so number makes sense. Container it felt a little funny cuz, you know, just in regular English, I don't think we talk about bottles as containers for liquids. Like I don't think it's how we think about it, but I think that container in terms of its literal definition does make a lot of sense. Quantity feels very similar to number yeah you know, if I was just kind of glancing if I didn't know kind of the story and the history of how we picked it and where it came from if I was just looking at the list of methods and I saw something called number and so they call it quantity I would think wait what's the difference there you know whereas something like remainder or bottles left over that feels more like okay I I can see I can see what they're trying to do here and I can hear the story behind what that method is doing yeah. 
I like that before going into section 4.4, there's a little bit of storytelling where Sadie and Katrina say, okay, so we know what we're going to do, but let's let's play with what would have happened if you'd gone for remainder, which we don't think was quite right. And I like that they sort of explore that, you know, in real life, it's you're unlikely to make the best decision or the right decision straight away. You're probably going to have a couple of failures before you get there. And that's a very cool acknowledgement of that in this book. Mm-hmm. And so for 4.4, choosing meaningful defaults, we're going to figure out what do we want to do exactly with that no more and that number minus one. So we're going to actually walk through how we abstract it and how we're going to use that quantity method. Yes. So we start very similar to how we have done for container and pronoun with our empty quantity method. And so the first thing that we normally do is we go to the else branch and we set the default for when you don't have the number matching. However, in this case, we don't want that else branch. We want the specific case of one. We want to return no more. Because in the else branch, we're going to be returning the interpolated number, which is a bit more complicated. So returning the string that we know is simpler. So this time, we, looking at listing 4.18, we write no more into the quantity method. And there's a warning that, okay, given that we're doing something slightly different, we're probably going to have a mistake, but let's keep going and see how we do. So we put the string no more into our quantity method. And then in listing 4.19, we change the one verse to have quantity bottles of build the wall. And then we add our normal fix me default, like we did before. And so, dun dun dun, Spidey sense tickling. <laughs> I love that little bit where in the book <laughs> it says, if you're concerned about this default, your Spidey sense is working. Yes. Yeah. And so remember that we're always running the tests all the time. And so now what happens is we've got this method moving to listing 4.21 where we've got our fix me default. And inside the body of the method, we've got if number equals equals zero, then no more, else return number. So now what's going to happen is we're going to run the tests and it's going to fail. The tests are going to fail. And that's because we're expecting take it down and pass it around no more bottles of beer on the wall. But instead we get take it down and pass it around fix me bottles of beer on the wall. <laughs> so the reason why we have this failure is because we are calling quantity without passing a number. And so number takes on that default value. And in the else branch, where normally we've been returning a set string, this time we're returning number, which is fix me. And so that's why we get take it down and pass it around, fix me bottles of bills on the wall. And the reason why we've not previously had this error is because normally the else case is a set string. And so number's not interpolated into that. So even though number has been fix me, it hasn't come out in our code. Yes. So what we're going to do to fix the fix me situation is we're going to change the default from fix me to the number zero. And if we do that, it'll flow to our else statement, but our else statement will actually be zero because that's our default value. And then everything works out really well. And this is also a really good moment to appreciate the fact that because we've been taking such small steps or we've been changing only one line of code at a time between running our tests, 
we can very quickly undo the thing that went wrong. We can easily see what broke and when it broke and why. And so being so careful and having all these really meticulous and deliberate steps really helps when we're troubleshooting and things don't work out the way we think they are. Yes. So now we've got the test passing in, we can check that when we pass an argument into quantity, it still works. And so looking at listing 4.26, we now pass in number minus one to the verse one case. So the test will pass because it goes to zero and we get no more bottles of beer on the wall. Yes. So now that we know that when we actually do have arguments in our method calls that they actually work, we can remove the default value from our quantity. So instead of having that default number be zero, we'll just get rid of that. So we have just an argument. And then we run our tests again and make sure they pass. And they do. Wonderful. So now that's that with the quantity method, isn't it? Yeah, that looks like that's about it. And so the only thing left now is that if we look at listing 4.29, We've got the word bottles in the first one case, but container with number minus one as, argu as an argument in the else case. And so we need to fix that, but we obviously already have our solution, which is using our lovely container method. Yes. And so if we take our first one case and we pass in the container method in phrase four, we now have two identical methods. Verse one and the else case look the same. So we can remove the one case. Yes. So that's been a fun little few sections. We've <laughs> Yeah. We've now got two new concepts. We've got pronoun, we've got quantity. What else? We've got more practice in the flocking rules. Yes. We've worked out what to do when we've got when we've got to name a concept when it's not so obvious. So the strategies for that. Mm -hmm. We've also looked at following the flocking rules but when we want to default to a specific case as opposed to the default case and how we set the defaults on either case so whether we're using fix me if we are just going to the else branch or whether we're having a sensible default if we're not going to the else branch we've also kept in mind the importance of continually running our tests after every level change mm -hmm. and i really appreciate this these sections because i feel like a lot of times when i read a book the book generally gives me one go around. You know, it gives me kind of one chance to pick up a concept and then we move on to the next one. And these couple sections have been really, really helpful because we've basically done the same refactoring steps three times in just this episode. Uh, and it's just been really helpful to go through it again. And I feel like each time we go through it, I'm thinking about slightly different things. Some things are coming a little bit faster. We're seeing when things adjust. So just being able to practice and reiterate and go through the process a few times has been really, really helpful. I really, really love how that's all built into the book, by the way. Often with books, you've got to go away mm -hmm. and do the hard work yourself. And if you're just following along and typing out the code like Sandy and Katrina recommended when we spoke with them, then really you're just getting, you are getting a course. Like like Sandy said, you really are getting a course within a book. And that's really cool. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So in this episode, we've almost finished refactoring that first method. So we want to know, what do you think of it so far? Is the solution what you expected? Tweet us your responses at Ruby Book Club and tell us how you plan to use the takeaways from this episode in your next project. See you next week. Cheerio!